Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Mark and Sarah talk about songs. 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 just another day in paradise, ladies and germs. And that's right. Mark and Sarah do talk about songs. I am your co-host, Sarah D. Bunting, and I am here, as always, with the record of my year, Mark Blankenship. Hi, Mark. Oh, think twice. It's just another day for us in podcasting paradise. Uh-huh. It's, it's unforgettable and may cause tears in heaven, but we're going to get to that first. Welcome back to our Record of the Year showdown season. This is episode three. That means, if you've just arrived, that we're still in the first round of selecting which Record of the Year Grammy winner is the best and most deserving or um, least horrible and intrusive of all time. Um, And this is our third round of the round of 64, which takes us from 1991 to 2006. We're going to talk about all of these songs. If we decide they're moving on, they're going to get point values. We will get into the um, extremely professional and complicated mathematics of it all a little bit later. But first, Mark, please remind the listeners where they can um, get in on the democracy of this process. Everyone who joins us as a Patreon patron at the Madonna level or higher is able to vote in the outcome of this tournament, and we do hope that you will. You can become a patron at patreon.com slash mastas, M-A-S-T-A-S. And no matter what level you join at, there are exciting things that you can participate in. Uh, We have a Discord channel that's hopping and popping. Patrons at all levels get uh, early releases of our episodes. We do regular live happy hours so it's a real community that we love and would love to have you join so again please find us at patreon.com slash and if you want to fight for the right of say bet midler to move forward there's no better way to do that than as a patron yeah we would love to have you and we really cannot do these seasons or anything without your support and we really appreciate it Um, We're all going to need some emotional support through the trying times that are um, (laughs) the third section of the round of 64. Shall we get right into it? I'll just make this opening statement. This bracket and the first bracket I find to be the two most confounding brackets. The first bracket ignored the existence of every popular form of music in the 60s. (laughs) This bracket seems to be obsessed with finally honoring people from earlier eras that were ignored the first time around but honoring them for all of the wrong reasons that's my that's my early read on the situation yeah and then you have a couple of all-timers yeah were lumped in with other all-timers in the same year like we i I mean it's it's really a a journey um so get some gorp and some water slash bourbon and let's do this um we begin with the 1991 ceremony, which awarded Record of the Year to Another Day in Paradise by Phil Collins, um, founder and uh, CEO of the Girls Bike Club. Um, shall we hear a clip or do you have any chart facts uh. that we need to know before um, enduring this um, 
melodramatic, performative social justice song. <laughs> Why don't we start with the clip, and then as a palate cleanser, I'll explain its context. Great. So (laughs) this song was the first single released from Phil Collins, 1989 album. But seriously, it did reach number one on the Hot 100. It was number one for the last two weeks of 1989 and the first two weeks of 1990, which means that this is technically the very first number one song of the entire 90s. Uh, It is also the last number one song that Phil Collins ever had after a truly gargantuan run of hits in the 80s with Mm -hmm. Genesis and as a solo artist. I mean, you really could not swing a drumstick without landing uh, directly on the crown of some Phil Collins song. (laughs) And I will say, Sarah, that even in this album, the But Seriously album, there is at least one absolute classic banger for my ears and soul. And that is a song called Something Happened on the Way to Heaven, which Uh reached number four in 1990. But that is not the song we are talking about. Um, As an opening salvo, I will say this. I love a lot of Phil Collins songs. I really do. I have no apology for loving Susudio, Against All Odds, Take a Look at Me Now, Take Me Home, In the Air Tonight. There's a lot of great Phil Collins songs, but Sarah, this for me is not one of them. No, it's not. Um, I went to this concert tour and it was um, like it had the benefit of making a lot of the songs on this album, which like a lot of the things of this era, not just music, but like movies, men's suits, like there was just a cheapness um, mm. to the sound and look of the early 90s in a lot of ways. And this like that just sounds like a dollar store keyboard to me. I'm sure it was extremely expensive. It was Phil Collins, but that was just the era with which you were dealing. Um, The tour had the benefit of making these songs sound um, heavier um, Mm. in orally and just like gave them the importance that they clearly craved. This particular song, uh, like I'm sure it comes from a, a good place, but there does come a point in a, pop star's long career past which uh he she or they should not attempt to relate to people less fortunate because it's just too far away from them and the attempt reads extremely self-serious and clueless and okay boomer and if I hated the song less on the re-listen than I thought I was going to, but I Mm -hmm. still hate it. And the thing is, his vocal's pretty good, but the just the backing tracks all sound chintzy because 90s or early 90s. And it's just too on the nose. Like if he had had if he had had any art, any metaphorical structure at all, 
But this is just like, here are some stories of unhomed people. Don't you feel bad? I'm going to go live in one of my mansions with my world's largest Alamoiana collection. Like, you don't get to do this anymore, Philbo. Sorry. Yeah, this is one of those songs that confuses identifying a problem with in some way ameliorating a problem. (laughs) Yeah. Like, congratulations, you've identified an issue, capital I. Have a seat. That's not why we're here. There's a story about how Phil Collins was inspired to write this song because he saw a woman begging on the street as he was going into a recording studio. And he thought about how he didn't want to make eye contact with her. He didn't want to engage with her. And look, that is a perfectly noble impulse from which to create a Mm -hmm. work of art. But like you said, I just think this is. But this isn't art. Yeah, this is like a, you know, extra credit assignment on. You know, I guess like an extra credit paragraph. (laughs) This takes us back to what we were saying about the Arrested Development song, Mr. Wendell, in our hip hop beats around the bush season, where it's just almost always a losing game when a pop star tries to address a specific social ill through a three and a half to four minute hit song. Mm -hmm. It just, it just like the, the the few exceptions just prove how hard it is because I think that what, what's going on actually does a pretty good job uh, by Marvin Gaye of, of making something feel personal and specific and, and mournful yeah. And then you get to something like this, which has uh, admittedly a, a catchy melody, but has really very little to say. I don't know. I just I don't know that I have the quite depth of critical insight to comprehend why I'm less frustrated by what's going on, other than they maybe it's just a more sophisticated sounding song. But this song to me, like you said, Sarah, I didn't hate it as much as I thought, but I still didn't like it. And, no, uh, me neither. And it's yeah, not moving I, on for me, obviously. It's, it's definitely not for me, nor is it moving on for our listeners. So out of a possible uh, six points, that's zero <laughs> mm. for for another day in Paris. Um, I will also add that um, this was a fascinating collection of fellow nominees, including Bette Midler's From a Distance, which is a wonderful vocal. Um, I just, <laughs> no, no, thank you. On that song, Nothing Compares to You by Sinead um, and Prince. Uh, you Can't Touch This by MC Hammer and Vision of Love by Mariah Carey. Like, National Academy. She's right there. Yeah, I know. You you want to talk? Okay, you've got nothing. She is the to- vision of loving music. You've got, <laughs> you've got nothing compares to you and Vision of Love just sitting there waiting to receive the award and people are like "Mm." actually phil collins reminded me that there might be some homeless people that i accidentally swipe with my limo yeah Uh, so (laughs) i guess yeah Uh, just it also you can't touch this it's not an order it's just the title of the song yeah you actually are allowed to touch it and just from a sheer record perspective in terms of production and performance mc hammer also blowing it up any one of those three would have been great that I mean, I know that like hammer pants has become a shorthand for like a dated thing from that era. But y'all, I'll, I've said it before. I will say it again. Go back and listen to that track. There is a reason that it played like three different times at one prom. 
because it's good. It's so dancey. Anyway, another day in paradise is no such thing. And let's move on. Ooh, well, okay. So in case you were worried that the Grammys had stopped rewarding ancient sounding tracks <laughs> that reminded them of their own long gone youths. Let's not forget that in 1992, the Grammy for record of the year, not to mention the Grammy for song of the year, <sighs> both went to unforgettable by Natalie Cole and the ghost of her dead dad. And that she also won album of the year for this album. So this is an album of standards sung by the daughter of a famous standard singer featuring and on the hit single featuring his own archival recordings blended with hers. So you just could not be doing more work, Grammys, to make sure that we never move out of the dusty past. And yes, this song reached the top 20 on the Hot 100. It was a hit. Yes, the album was a runaway blockbuster hit. It sold like 7 million copies. It reached number one. I don't give a crispity fuck because in the <laughs> no. same category of unforgettable, uh-huh. we have we have uh, well we have something to talk about by Bonnie Raitt. Oh my god, one of the like most invitingly warmly sexy songs ever. Uh, it's ever. so good. I'm so, okay. I'm I will get more mad. So keep going. I'm gonna save what I think is the most egregious uh, uh, loser for last, but I will also add. Baby Baby by Amy Grant. I have a soft spot for that song. Me it's too. very catchy. <laughs> that Thank you. <laughs> part is like, it, it just lives in uh, a little corner of my heart's closet. And every now and then I just go in and look at it and I'm like, you existed and you wore a bunch of patchwork. Bless your heart. Uh, who who among us is so rich that we can't afford a visit from <laughs> Amy Grant's catchy Casio melody? <laughs> Then we have uh-huh. the number, the longest running number one single of that year. Uh, Everything I do, I do it for you by Brian Ugh. Adams. I'm not going to get up here and defend it, but at least if they had picked that song, it would have been a song that had actually been created in the year in question. Mm-hmm. One of the things that's always frustrated me about Unforgettable winning song of the year, which is supposed to be the songwriting award, is that Unforgettable was not the song of that year. No. Unforgettable was the song of 1951, which is when it originally came out. Yeah. Just, uh, okay. But then, Sarah, they could have given, right there on the nominee list, they could have given the award to Losing My Religion. Yeah. By R.E.M. Come on! Well, and, I mean, th- there is a um, uncomfortable, in my opinion, um, top note of this is how we are going to reward an artist of color many, many years after his death. I believe um, Cole Pear died in 1965. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, that this is the safe way to interact with black music is at this great distance and posthumously and, um, preserved in the aural amber of this sort of big band swoony proto mathis sound which like look i love nat king cole's voice natalie cole's voice is not for me um i think that this kind of project is both creepy and also very sort of like i have a lot of compassion for it 
I'm not sure anyone needs to be around when it's happening because this is like this is family shit that you should do in your kitchen. I don't need to hear it. Yeah. Um. But this song, like, it really was everywhere, and there really was a um, elegiac sweetness to the video. But this is the worst song on offer, and. If you're going to acknowledge the contributions, which were significant and myriad, of Nat King Cole, do it when the man is alive instead of this, like, guilt reparations shit because the rest of your slate is as white as a piece of printer paper. Because it is. Who's whiter than R.E.M.? No one. <laughs> well, Amy Grant, actually. Yes, well, Okay. <laughs> But I would also say and Brian I, Adams is so white he's Canadian. Yeah. <laughs> I would say that there was also probably um a sense of keeping it in the community here mm. because Natalie Cole sure. had Natalie Cole, obviously the daughter of Nat King Cole, she had won the best new artist Grammy in the seventies, back oh, when yeah. she had back when she had the song This Will Be an Everlasting Love. So she had won the Best New Artist Grammy and then had really struggled mightily with drug addiction and later on revealed in her memoir that she spent a time as a procurer for a pimp. So, okay, the drugs were really, really messing her up. I think that was actually just before she got her record deal in the 70s. But anyway, so Natalie Cole is the daughter of a legend who had been undervalued by this Academy. She Mm -hmm. herself was a Grammy winner who had come back from the brink of disaster with an album that was beautiful, elegant sophisticated and respectable and had mm-hmm. done well. So I would and imagine, not rap. So exactly. It wasn't rap and it didn't have any beat that would make my, my nether parts grow in unconventional ways. So <laughs> I would imagine that there was a sense too, of people voting emotionally for someone that was in their community, but that sure. doesn't, it doesn't change the fact that losing my religion is a better record. Yeah. <laughs> um, but this is far from the most egregious crime. <laughs> That we're contemplating today so let's hear um whether anyone else is moving this on because i am not overall like i don't again i don't despise this it's just like this was a this was political shit and i'm not about it it is a very forgettable song in fact i've already forgotten it uh this is also not going on from the listeners so that's a goose egg because i'm not moving it on either okay As you may remember, listeners, um, we're doing our sort of ranking math a little differently this time in that if you decide that a song is moving on, it receives two points. And if you don't, it receives zero points. Um, But Mark and I, just for our own um, neurotic (laughs) slash organizational reasons, um, rank everything one to 16 in this section just, you know, for fun season because we're used to it. We are about to talk about my number 16 song. I hated it from the second I heard it, and I have never stopped, and I am very excited that I never have to hear it again after this. It is Tears in Heaven by Eric Clapton. It is about the death of his four-year-old son, Connor. I won't get into details, but the ma- the manner of this accidental death was just horrific. Horrific, very dark. Like any death of a four year old is not going to be fun, but this was particularly well. I don't think it's too. Tr- I don't think it's too triggering to say that the kid fell out of a window and it was just like horrible. Yeah, and it was not a third story window. It no, was a fifty third story window. Um, yeah, 
And so with all of the compassion and gentleness in my heart for the idea that, um, that through your art is a, a way to mediate some of this pain. This song is unsuccessful in every possible regard and along every possible axis. And I think the Academy voted for it because they felt like they couldn't not vote for a song about a dead four-year-old. Let's hear a clip. And then I'd, I'd like to talk about this a little more. If sure. I'm not, uh, if I haven't barfed myself inside out by the conclusion. Okay, here's the thing. What is Eric Clapton known for, aside from being kind of a like right-wing weirdo now in Britain? He is known at, like, his nickname is God because of how well he plays the guitar. This is not on display here. Fine. Uh, like, shredding a solo is perhaps not appropriate in this venue, but still. Um, he is not known for his singing voice, rightly. Um, I enjoyed Eric Clapton's solo albums of the 80s that were very sort of 80s-y. He had that one track that was on the color of, uh, what the hell of it, what the hell was it called? The Color of Money? Yes, The Color of Money soundtrack. I watched that video a bunch of times. I have never seen the movie. I don't need to. It's about pool. It has Tom Cruise in it. Whatever. I like that song. Um, but Clapton's singing voice is nondescript is the is the best thing you can really say about it. Um, this arrangement is maudlin again, a- appropriate to the use, <laughs> like the form follows the function here. But this was nominated against Achy Breaky Heart, which whatever it's a, it's an icon. Whatever else you think of it. Beauty and the Beast by Celine and Peebo, which is like a just giant hunk of cheese. And I will nestle in one of its Swissy holes anytime. I love it. Swissy holes. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. Phrasing. Uh, Constant Craving by Katie Lang, which we have spoken about many times and is probably the class of this joint. But Save the Best for Last by Vanessa Williams is also just this like, I ran knocking people over to get that single. And um. You can ask me anything about that that you want. When um, I was in eighth grade, I doodled the lyrics to Save the Best for Last on the back of one of my class notebooks because I thought they were so profoundly beautiful. Yeah. So I feel you. I love that song to this day. Will not apologize. Sometimes the snow does come down in June. Yeah. Damn it. And her her sort of tone of wonderment is really wonderful for that song. And like the end where she's like, yeah, like she's just like, isn't it a miracle that anyone ever meets and falls in love? Like, you know what? It is. Yes. But then we have Tears in Heaven, which is just this like 
wadded up Kleenex that someone left in the map pocket in the car and you just reach in to clean out the car and you're like, oh, 1993. Take that with you. It's bad. I hate it. Number 16, zero points. Uh, the, the listeners also gave it zero points. But I oh no, cannot say the same. Oh, Mark. <laughs> okay. I have to go for I'm going to one thing I'll say first. This song peaked at number two. It was an an inescapable hit. But I have to tell you some stories. When I was in (laughs) seventh grade at a middle school dance, I had been informed very frankly by my friend Brooke that she hoped they did not play Tears in Heaven because that was the song that was playing when she broke up with her boyfriend. And she and her friend Kelly both knew that they had to find each other because Brooke wasn't going to be able to handle it if this song came on. And I will never forget standing in the gym of my middle school when this song did in fact come on, watching Brooke and Kelly race for each other, performatively crying, holding each other. But I have to say, I look back on it with such affection Uh because that was... Just in my mind, it's one of the most perfect distillations of what it is like to be a teenager. I can call up right now. It absolutely is. Where you loudly announce that they'd better not play that song, but what you actually mean is they better fucking play that song so that Kelly and I can cry and run for each other. It's just, and then a few years <laughs> later, I had just finished a summer program called Governor School in Chattanooga, where I was so delighted to meet so many people who made me feel like my true self, who accepted me for the weirdo that I was, who got to be weird just like me. So that next school year, I was at a field trip in Nashville seeing a play, and there were a bunch of school groups there, and we were all lined up against the wall, and I looked across the room, and there was my friend Kenley, who had been or Kendall, I should say, who had been in the program with me. And she and I ran out of our school classroom lines to the middle of the open space, (sighs) hugged each other screaming. And I remember feeling like so fucking cool. Like you guys, I know someone you've never even seen before and we'd love each other and look at us. And I can look back and see that (laughs) is my tears in heaven moment, although it's based in joy and not tears. But it's like, I totally relate to this experience. So now that is one of the reasons that Tears in Heaven gets a little bit of an uptick for me. But the other reason, frankly, I can't disagree with the things that you're saying. I totally respect your take on this song's glurginess, but I just find it really beautiful. It just it, it somehow it somehow breaks through some wall. And I find this song really lovely and sad and elegant and i really like it and um i put it in uh seventh ultimately on my list so for it is in my because of seventh grade um Uh, yes now that being said would i have voted for this song among this group of singles no because constant craving is right there but it is getting two points for me we um i hope that we can make it through this time (laughs) No, we can. And the thing is, this really was everywhere. Like, if you sort of, like, it's an awards body, they're going to fuck it up. But if you look at the fuck-ups in terms of, like, they're trying to make the people who consumed music feel like they exist... In that in that way that the Oscars sometimes you're like, just because a lot of people went to see... Oh, I get it. (laughs) Like, you know, I, I mean... 
I I get it. And then there was the sort of um, uh, MTV Unplugged bounce as well from that. And yes, well, and in this very year, not only did this win record and song, but Eric Clapton Unplugged won album of the year. So it was like Natalie Cole before him. He ran all three of those categories. Yeah. And, you know, I also at that time was, um, you know, living with a sibling who was learning to play guitar and what you did was you just copied what you saw them doing on unplugged slash the great guitar gods of the era. So I heard right. this song, even when I wasn't, you know, at the bank, <laughs> I heard it coming from my brother's room. So anyway, I just um, there, there's just a thing that's so obvious in the history of the Grammys where typically if a song that sounds anodyne and vaguely related to the distant past becomes any kind of legitimate hit you can feel the grammy voters giving a deep sigh of relief because they can award the thing they like while still making a vague weak claim to being relevant so you know that every time adele releases a new sad song they're like oh thank god okay yeah we can vote for that so right. we'll get to that well, later. This but. also lets them reward Eric Clapton now when yes, what exactly. should have happened. Yeah. So I mean, instead of Derek rewarding him for when he nothing. was. Yeah, exactly. Instead of rewarding him for when he was in cream or whatever, they're like, now's the time. Well, and as we'll see later, now wasn't the only time. But next we have I Will Always Love You by Ms. Whitney Houston. And for those keeping score, this is the second time that David Foster has produced a record of the year winner in this bracket because he also produced Unforgettable. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it probably goes without saying. Uh, Dolly Parton, of course, was the originator of this song. She wrote it. She sang it as a way of getting out of her professional relationship with um, Porter Wagner. The song, when recorded by Whitney Houston for her film debut in The Bodyguard, broke every record at the time. It was number one for 14 weeks. It was a juggernaut. It was, at the time, the longest-running number one hit of all time. It is a cultural touchstone of this entire decade. Like, how much more can be said, truly, about Whitney Houston's I Will Always Love You? Um, Not that much. And we certainly don't need a clip. But, but I but pulled sometimes. one anyway, because as I told you on Slack earlier today, sometimes on this podcast, you just need to lip sync for your motherfucking life. Miss Houston, take it away. I wish you love. Let's God, not forget sex. our friend, the saxophone. Uh, I mean, yes. I, I feel about this song the way I feel about certain extended family members. Like, I don't like you really. I don't need to spend time with you, but I give you a fucking kidney because you're kid. Like, <laughs> like I, I love you, but I don't need to be around you. <laughs> but 
just listening to it again. And, you know, we've all heard it a million times. It's all in our DNA, like those little micro pieces of plastic (laughs) at this point. But it's just like, especially that moment where before that drum drops, in that little space, you can hear her thinking, watch this because you can't (laughs) do it. And I just like this generational talent who just got broken on the wheel of her own life and who died right on the eve of the Grammys, I believe. She but did. Yeah, she like, did. It seems very recent. It wasn't. It it was a while ago. Um, I just every now and then I think it's instructive to go back to why Whitney was Whitney and this song is a, you know, no better way to do that. Now, would I have voted for it in this in this rack of songs? Um this is a very weird slate this year and I don't love a bunch of the other songs and I I feel like putting Neil Young in this category with Whitney is so weird. Yeah, so there was a song by Neil Young that was nominated here called Harvest Moon. And if you're thinking, is that a real song? My answer is, I don't know either. Um, it is. I mean, and it's like a re-record of a song that he recorded early in his career. But at that time, the Grammys were like, those sideburns are too big. Harry Mancini, your table is ready. Like, uh, it just wasn't going to happen. Um, there's also If I Ever Lose My Faith in You by Sting, which is a song that I enjoy, but is not. Yes, you know, it's just very elevatory. It's, um, it's fine. It's perfectly the fine. River of Dreams from Billy Joel. No, thank you. I love Billy Joel, his, but that's not top half. That was his last top ten hit. I will note. And uh, a whole new world by Peebo again, and uh, Regina Bell, which is also fine. But I will always love you is just like, um, it just transcends the idea of awards. Frankly, like. As we said last time about We Are the World, like perhaps humanitarian fundraising singles should have their own category. Perhaps Whitney and Mariah, Whitneying and Mariahing should just have their own little little spot where we can enjoy that. Um, but this is, I mean, this is moving on for me, no question. And I actually really enjoyed revisiting it, even though I prefer the Dolly version and think that it's the true, the one true version of I Will Always Love You. <laughs> this is moving My on. My dad agrees. My dad agrees with you. He's always said that. Um, I will just say that this song, 30 years ago, as we record this in January of 2023, 30 years ago, this song was number one. I am as happy to hear this song today as I was 30 years ago. If you are not old enough to remember what it was like when this song came out, it's really, Sarah, I think hard to explain the level of cultural pervasiveness that it reached. Yeah. I don't even know that a song has the ability to be as culturally pervasive as this was anymore because things have become so atomized over streaming and everything. But I can remember being in my Algebra 1 class in eighth grade and we all just sang this song together. Like, I don't even think it it almost it was like it just happened organically, like something in the wind told us now is the time. And the whole class just sang this song. My neighbor Katie's dad, who was this like gruff old Italian guy named Vic, he made a mixtape where he just put that power note and a power note from I Have Nothing, also from the soundtrack, on a loop 
for four minutes and just hit, heard those notes again. There was a woman in England who was sued by her neighbor because she would not stop playing this song. Oh, yeah, I remember like she, that. <laughs> that Wild. actually gets referenced in the in the film version of Hedwig and the Angry Inch. Um, it is just like, I feel like this year they nominated Neil Young because they realized that they could literally nominate anything. Like Christ himself could have released a single this year and it would not have beat I Will Always Love You for record of the year. So yeah. I'm like, fine, Neil Young, we don't give a shit. <laughs> like, we've, already got the, we've already got the Grammy with her name on it, so fine. So anyway, of course, this was also in my top half. Of course, it was in the listener's top half. Of course, this is a perfect six. Uh, I just feel like, yeah, th- this one is just as, uh, it's about as undeniable as these things get with regard to making it out of the first round, at least. Mm. Yeah, I think so. Now, moving on, I'm going to go up here. I'm just going to start up top, Sarah. I am going to defend Cheryl Crow's All I Want to Do. I think this song is such a fucking charmer. And again, it just is a song that has a little tempo, which is such a fucking relief if you're preparing for this episode the way I am, where you listen to the songs in order. Just like, oh, God, thank you. This is a song with like a little beat behind it. Yeah, yeah. I think it's nope, same, same, same. I think it's really cool that they basically took this like abstract poem and set it to a set it to music with like a hurdy gurdy sound underneath it of all things. Um, I think that Cheryl Crow, I've always described Cheryl Crow as someone that I would never change the radio station if she came on, but I would also never buy anything except a greatest hits album. If that makes sense. Yeah. Like, no, absolutely. Cheryl Crow is great at delivering middle of the road rock and pop songs and that is fine we need people who can do this lenny kravitz another one as we've discussed before like all i want to do is the epitome of her appeal it's light it's effortless it's charming and then it goes on its way it doesn't ask you for too much it doesn't pretend to be more than it is it's unpretentious there's a lyric in there about peeling the labels off beer bottles which really is very relatable to me i peel the labels off everything i ever hold in my hands Thumbs up from me. This was a big yes for me to move on. Cheryl Crow, Mark Blankenship, two, two peas in a pod on this episode. And two points from Buncey as well. Hey. I remember when this came out feeling like it was a, a vanguard of something that I couldn't quite put my finger on. And I still can't. Um, because in retrospect, like we have seen this bit we have seen this done better. Like anything she's trying to do here. We've seen done a little bit better by other people, possibly before she did it, but it just seemed at this juncture, and this is 1995, so this song was out, you know, 94, 95, it was around, Um, she just like, she looked a little different, it wasn't grunge, it wasn't trance, it wasn't like something ravey, it wasn't rap, it was just like countrified slightly pop music she was cute she wore cowboy boots and it was like all right this is we're moving into something else and we weren't sure what it was going to be yet um this is the portion of this podcast where we're going to be returning to a lot of Lilith Fair season thoughts um and you know she has he thinks he'll keep her um to you know in her like defeated category like that's one of the other nominees as well as love sneaking up on you by bonnie Raitt, which like that one it's like the one i know eh, song she 
she had at that era, but okay. I'll make love to you by boys to men, which is never happening because um, the Academy does not want to think about people's genitals and streets of Philadelphia by Bruce Springsteen, which mm, when it's streets of Philadelphia did win song of the year. So they were still able to reward someone too late. Thank God. And Owen, you know who had a much better song on that soundtrack that was much sadder and more beautiful was Mr. Neil Neil Young. Young. Like, what are we? Hey, does anyone actually listen to these albums before you dominate things? Just wondering. Okay. Well, and just in case you were worried, though, that this year the Grammys got too hip because they let Sheryl Crow win this award, just know that the album of the year went to Tony Bennett for his Unplugged album. Of course it did. (laughs) I'm just saying. And he'll be back. Yeah, he'll get nominated for album of the year at least one more time in our lifetime. Yeah. Um, not that he can remember that anymore, which is really a shame. I stepped on his foot once and he was really nice about it. And I've always felt fond of him and I kind of feel bad at how much I shat on, uh, his, that song from the first round. <laughs> Listen, but it's a, yeah, Tony, it, it's a bad song. He deserved better. Tony Bennett seems great. I have no kick with Tony Bennett. I'm glad that he makes all those albums with Lady Gaga, but I just... Don't know that that his unplugged album was really the best album of the year in question. Uh, yeah, but I'm we're... I have no problem with this win though. Like if I had had yeah. a vote, I probably would have, frankly, voted for Springsteen because it seemed like the time to do that. Even though, once again, it would have been like he should have won for something in the seventies, but here we all are. Um, but and long-time yeah, listeners, no, no those... problem with this. We've talked many times about how Cheryl is a B plus, and sometimes a B plus, regardless of what school is awarding it, is really good, and it's just what you need. So, what did the listeners decide to do? Well, the listeners agreed. So, this is another straight six for Ms. Crow, and I think that that is uh, well deserved. I probably would have voted for "He Thinks He'll Keep Her" this year because, as you know, I love that song very much. But I also am not mad that this song won and it's certainly moving on to the round of 32. So congratulations to you, Cheryl Crow. Mm. Well, our next song is 1996 record of the year winner kiss from a rose by seal. Um, I am really interested to hear what everyone else did with this because I like the song. I, I didn't pull up clip cause I really don't think we need it. Um, but my notes quickly slid off the face of um, reason and into this um, Batman forever was actually not that bad. Val Kilmer should have kept the job. I am not a crackpot. <laughs> Val Kilmer should have kept the job. I am not a crackpot. Any hoodle. I don't think this should have won based on its competition, but I moved it through because I still enjoy um, those two songs by seal very much. And I regret nothing. (laughs) What'd you do with it? (laughs) Exactly. This and crazy seal. Great job. Um, Yeah. And boning Heidi Klum for a while. You know what? (laughs) Put it in the books as they say. (laughs) So seal reached number one with kiss from a rose. It was his only number one hit. Uh, but I agree with you that among this group, I don't know that I would have voted for it because you've got Gangsta's Paradise by Coolio, which mm-hmm. is just a great record. It you've is. got One of Us by Joan Osborne, which we've talked about as being one of the worst representations a one hit wonder has ever had of her overall mm-hmm. musical identity. 
Yeah. You've got One Sweet Day, which is, I think, an almost unbearable song by Mariah Carey and Boyz II Men that nevertheless was number one for 16 goddamn weeks. I hate that song. I really, really hate that song, Sarah. I hate it. I don't Um, hate it, but I don't need it. But then you've got the song that I would have voted for, which is Waterfalls by TLC. Same. Absolute same. Here we go. This is a song that is about cultural issues that I think is actually successful. Yeah, because I think it's because even though it's like a weirdly prudish song where they're like, please don't go have any experiences ever. Just stick to the rivers and the lakes that you're used to. Mm-hmm. But the, the the specificity and the, the I actually think it's the specificity of the lyrics and the verses of Waterfalls, but also the fact that they are frustrated and irritated by them. That makes this mm-hmm. song work. Instead of just being like, I'm beatifically sad. Oh my God. Unisaf, you can save a life for a quarter a day. They're like, y'all are fucking stupid. And I just think that there's like something kind of refreshing about being sad about these problems, but being irritated by them at the same time. Anyway. Yeah. Yeah. That being said, Kiss from a Rose uh, is, if nothing else, it is so sonically interesting and complicated. I still find myself getting struck by it, if you know what I mean. I'm like, mm-hmm. oh my god, what the, the harmonies there are so interesting and like. So I think it's a really is a spectacular record. Like it's well sung, beautifully produced. Uh, it easily moved through for me, and it also moved through for the listeners. So that is a straight six again, third in a row for "Kiss from a Rose" by Seal. Yeah, um, I'm glad you made that point about finding new things in it because I was um, while I was like wool gathering about like justice for Val Kilmer. Val Kilmer's fine. Um, he got to that final baby, and I was like, wow, that really like he just executes perfectly on that. Yeah, like, just hits it right on the screws. It's so viscerally effective still after almost thirty years. So, yep, no problem waving this one through. It's one of the rare songs that I think you can say it doesn't sound like other songs. Like still to this day, Kiss from a Rose sounds like itself only. Yeah. In a way. And I just really like that. Yeah, me too. Sarah, I know that you had an Eric Clapton song in 16th place for yourself. And I also have an Eric Clapton song in 16th place. Mm. But it's not Tears from Heaven. It's Change the World. The other song of Eric Clapton's that won record of the year in the 90s, produced by Babyface, now, when I listened to it again, oh, and it was on the soundtrack to just like the most useless fucking movie. Like I can't even. Oh, from the movie Phenomenon with John Travolta, where he like suddenly can learn Portuguese overnight or whatever. What the fuck? Oh, right. Um, so change <laughs> or the world as we a- called that movie in my house, not Michael, the other one. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. So um, I hope that we can continue to associate with one another with this vast gulf in our experiences because i ranked it 15th oh okay well this song (laughs) did one of the reasons i will always hate this song is it reached number five on the hot 100 which meant it was just literally always on and when i listened to it again sarah i didn't hate it as much as i thought i would but it's not good it's just like there it is the it is the most boilerplate song i imaginable to me it is it is completely designed to be forgotten as it's happening there is it's 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 workmanlike in its craftsmanship there is obviously a lot of skill here but there is no soul 
And I hate it so much for that. I, I, you know, Sheryl Crow is a B plus and this song is a C minus and the gap between those two could not be bigger. And uh, I really, 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 really don't like this song. So it's my last place of this whole bracket. Um, yeah, I, you know, I hated the other one more. But this one in some ways is worse. The only reason that it notched up a point is that I was able to sort of entertain myself by wondering who, like what other artists rendition of it could have saved it because this arrangement mm. is not for Eric Clapton, in my opinion. Um, mm. Like there's just, I was like, put Jamiroquai on this and see what happens because I don't think the song is the problem. I just think that once again, as with tears in heaven, Eric Clapton has certain strengths. This serves exactly none of them. Like the song is fine, but like get some fucking like there needs to be more penis and testicles in the song, like genitals of some kind, please. Yeah. You know, Babyface is great at making these sort of slick, silky smooth tracks that glide along. But when he has a singer like Tony Braxton on top of them, then you're like, okay, the smoothness and the roughness are really perfectly married or like Baby, right. Baby, Baby by TLC. Like, just give me someone who can do more than what Eric Clapton can do, which is not much. Yeah, this is just, you know, tapioca. I assume the check cleared and good for him. Like, he didn't take my money. But this beat, Ironic by Alanis Morissette, Give Me One Reason by Tracy Chapman, Because You Loved Me by Celine Dion, which is not good, but I could sing you every fucking word of that. Change the world (laughs) trickled or glooped out of my ear hole immediately. And then the last nominee was 1979 by the Smashing Pumpkins, which was absolutely someone at the Academy being like, psych, no one's going to vote for that, but we can look like we know what's up. They didn't. Yeah. yeah. Uh, (laughs) Exactly. You know what? They were like, we need... This is going to air in prime time. We need some teenagers to watch. Let's nominate this song by the Smashing Pumpkins. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Sunny Came Home by Sean Colvin is our next winner in 1998. Um, oh, let me just, again, I'm sorry. Let me just say uh, the, the listeners oh, also right. did not did not move this song forward. So that's zero points for both. No, that's two points for Tears of Heaven because of me and zero points for Change the World. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so it's not going to, and I'm fine with that. But yes, now next up is Sunny Came Home. And if you listened to our Lilith Fair season, you heard us talk about this song, I feel like on seven consecutive episodes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's really good. And this was a pretty tough slate. Like the, the difficulty rating on this win was pretty high. Yeah. I would say. Um, and just for fun, like we're going to subtract R. Kelly from this conversation because He's a monster, but um, I went back and re-listened to Mbop just for fun because it had been years. And that song is just like, it's a pleasure every time. It's so uncomplicated, you know, and they're just really good at it. And I think they all have fairly normal lives, right? So yeah, I think so. It all worked out. Okay. But yeah, like what a, what a different time it was 25 years ago, but then where have all the cowboys gone by Paula Cole every day is a winding road by old B plus crow. I mean, and that R Kelly song, like 
I, I don't need to interact with him and his shit anymore, but that song was good. So, I mean, yeah, Colvin really earned this one, I would say. And um, it was my number two overall in this bracket. So, moving on. Uh, just listeners, in case you were wondering, it's I Believe I Can Fly is the R. Kelly song. Again, not the worst. Um, I also agree with you that Mbop like really holds up. And we talked yeah. about both the Paula Cole song and the Cheryl Crow song in mm-hmm. the Little Affair season. So this was my number one overall in this bracket. I will just say, even though we talked the hell out of this song not that long ago, I still loved listening to it several times for yeah, this season as well. Me too. Like, never fucking gets old. So yes, that's all three of us, me, you, and the listeners are moving Sunny Came Home forward to the next round. Uh, and if you haven't listened to our Lilith Fair season, even if you think you're not into that like go back and have a listen to that because i was still finding new things about this song and it's sort of like um ability to work with like palimpsest contrasts and it's just good and um i really like that even though the same songs sometimes are light motifs across seasons that there's still something new to new to say about them which um oh, oh i do want to forget before i forget too when she won the Grammy for this, I don't think I talked about this in the Lil Affair season, but it's so apropos here. When So this year, Sean Colvin won both Song of the Year and Record of the Year for Sonny Came Home. When she won the Record of the Year Grammy, Old Dirty Bastard bum-rushed the stage to say, oh, Wu-Tang's right. for the children, we should have won the Rap Grammy. And I just think that that's the only time in history that someone interrupting someone else at an award show has worked out for the interrupter because it was so weird and great. And it was just like, <laughs> Wu-Tang's for the children? What? So that's my last That's my last thought on this important issue. <laughs> yeah, it was no, I'm going to let you finish. Certainly. <laughs> Sometimes medication is something to something to explore, and I'm just gonna I'm just gonna leave it at that. Leave it at that, yes. Um, and I think we can probably leave it at our votes for 1999's winner. My heart will go on, which um did not make it for me, but it was clattering around in the middle for a while because I just had um forcefully put it to one side for long enough that i was like well maybe i need to just like listen to this again and then the fucking pan flute starts and i'm like (laughs) i just i don't know like here's the thing about celine product generally and especially this like i think that this is one of those times where You just have to take things for what they are trying to be and acknowledge that even if they are not for you, they are being absolutely 100% themselves to the maximum capability. Do you know what I mean? Uh, Yes, absolutely. This song is outstanding at being everything that it is. And either you are um, 14 years old and your estrogen is an entropy symbol and there's a lot of leo and crying that actually has nothing to do with the movie happening like then this song is going to give you what you need from a song like this in a movie like this at that age and if you're not you're gonna be like sigh and it really was everywhere and we were all exhausted by Titanic, but I admire the um, ruthlessly effective build of this for its demographic, but I am not it. 
It was number 10, but that's not moving on for me. What'd you do? Okay, it just barely squeaks through for me at number eight because I just mm. dislike several of the songs that are coming up so much. Sure. But um, I this song is actually not even in the top half of the songs I like by Celine Dion. I don't, it's just, <laughs> right. I have always found this song to be too vague. Vague is not the right word. It's just like, it's too unfocused, I guess is the way of putting it. Yeah. It's like, there's a pan flute and then like seven minutes later she hits a power note and somewhere in there there's a high note and like probably a audio clip of Leonardo DiCaprio delivering some line about naked Kate Winslet. But well, there's just yeah, something there's just like it's just so <laughs> yeah, it's just so diffuse. And when you have a song like The Power yes. of Love or like Power of Love is tight, good drama or you've got the epic operatic uh it's all coming back to me now i'm Mm -hmm. never going to choose this over those two songs but of course you know this song was inescapable it was the i believe if i'm remembering correctly it's the only song that ever could have debuted at number one purely on its opening week airplay Mm -hmm. like it didn't need it just airplay alone would have made this song go to number one had it been eligible to do that at the time so obviously this was a number one hit. It won the Oscar, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. It barely squeaked through for me. I do want to say, though, it did beat Madonna's Ray of Light. And that was obviously the record of the year. <laughs> yeah. Well, and The Boy is Mine, Iris by the Goo Goo Dolls, which is another we've heard of other bands on 120 Minutes nomination, whatever. <laughs> and You're Still the One by Shania Twain, which I'm actually a little surprised <laughs> Like any other year that would have won because they would have been like, oh, yeah, it's country, but it's not too country. And people play this at anniversary parties. Let's do that. Like, oh, Grammys, you idiots. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, I, I, you're, you're so right that she would have won in any other season. It is worth noting that this is the year that Lauren Hill won for album of the year. So hmm. at least there's wow. that. The, the Grammys can say they got that right. All right. What did the listeners do with this? Um, they agreed with you. They didn't move it on either. So it's only getting two points because uh, of moi. All right. Well, and at last we leave the 20th century. <laughs> will matters improve? Spoiler. They will not. The year 2000. Okay. We have a, we have a clip of this song and um it's smooth by santana featuring rob thomas you know the creator of veronica mars jk not him. <laughs> although that would be awesome um <laughs> dan and i just had this like running joke about like just dropping george santos into things like this <laughs> Santana featuring George Santos like it's not like anyone's gonna check until it's too late anyway um let's hear a clip and then we can lament um the absolutely bonkers slate of songs that was nominated against this winner in a question mark Forget 
that scene in OJ Made in America where OJ post um post the civil trial and all this goes on Wendy Williams's radio show and she interviews him and she's like not about it and then at the end she's like damn you OJ damn you OJ you're charming damn you OJ this is how I feel about this song I don't want to like it it's annoying it's like someone trapped the air outside of TRL under a room service cloche and then like blasted in my face and I'm not sure that's a good thing but and it it's unconscionable that it won this Grammy and I'm gonna let you talk about that part but it it gets in this song it gets in I love the guitar line this is absolutely a political win for Santana because it didn't get anything in like the 70s Um, absolutely right that's exactly right it is a it is annoying the song and if you hate it you're not wrong but d- damn you Santana featuring George Santos <laughs> like I just I just could not resist it like I kept I was like I can't have this in my top half Mark is going to stab me in the eye but um <laughs> I never would wouldn't you though I mean, if I had put Change the World in my top half, I think maybe you would be on your way here no, right now. I mean, look, we've made it through darker times than these. This is pretty dark, though. I will say it was number eight. It barely limped over. There was some stuff I hated more, but it's I'm going to be the cheese that stands alone, I think, on this. But yeah, that's where I am. With that said, there is no reason for it to have beaten No Scrubs or I Want It That Way both all-timers this is an injustice and i hate it mark well not only did it beat i want it that way and no scrubs it beat live in la vida loca by ricky martin Mm -hmm. and it beat the song that i feel should have won believe by Cher. Mm -hmm. i mean come on out of all of these this is actually four-fifths of this lineup is one of the strongest lineups we've seen in this category ever and then there's the winner what (laughs) exactly it's four amazing songs and the song that actually won um also santana won album of the year and smooth won song of the year so it was another clean sweep year because like you said we didn't we didn't give carlos santana any grammys in the 60s but now that we feel old we can feel like we're actually still young because he had this breakthrough comeback so we can be young again by nominate by voting for him oh it was so predictable Mm. at the time this song is just too much for me it's just working too hard it's Mm. too i mean i do i know every fucking word of this song do i know that it's a hot one like seven inches from the midday sun yes do (laughs) i I, forget about it i I mean do i yeah do i like (laughs) Do I like the Matchbox 20 album yourself or someone like you? Yes, I do. But this, I don't know. I just could never, ever get into this song. It's just so ersatz to me. And then to think it about is. it, to think about it beating Believe, I Want It That Way, I know. Live in La Vida Loca and No Scrubs, Child No. But you know what? You're not the cheese that stands alone because the listeners put it in their top eight as well. Huh. Okay. So that's that's four points for Smooth. I did not put it in my top eight, but that's four points total for them. Okay. Next, next we have the beginning of the nonstop Grammy dominance of the early 2000s by U2. They won record of the, and I want to say last, a few episodes ago, I misspoke and said that only two people have won back-to-back awards for record of the year. I was wrong. It's three. 
It's Roberta Flack, it's U2, and it's Billie Eilish. So this is the first of U2's consecutive win, for two consecutive wins. Beautiful day. Um, now they won album of the year for um, the Joshua Tree in the '80s, so it's not like the Grammys had some great debt to pay them back. Uh, but yeah, this this song beat I this song beat Bye 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 by Insync, Music by Madonna. Say My Name by Destiny's Child <laughs> and, you know, Just Happy to Be There, I Try by Macy Gray. But again, it's like all of these songs that actually sound like something that's current in the future. And then U2 farts out this like C minus level version of what it had been doing in the 80s when it's still when the band actually needed to prove something and had heart instead of just becoming this corporate behemoth disguised like activists. Like I fucking hate U2 songs, anything that was recorded in this era, I find it almost unconscionable that they exist. It's so bloated and self-important and slick and empty, and I hate it. Um, unsurprisingly, it did not move on <laughs> for me. Uh, um, this is my number five. Here's a clip. <laughs> Um, I don't know what happened. There was just stuff I liked less. And even though this is, this should not have won, that music did not win is inexcusable or say my name or actually bye, bye, bye is a great track too. Like Macy Gray, I I don't really care about that song, but this should not have won. And it's not good or fresh, but it's cold play enough (laughs) And I'm like, you know what? This is fine. And it's not fucking Eric Clapton. So through you go. Two points. I just want to note, I think it's interesting that this song only peaked at number 21 on the Hot 100. This is also the beginning of a period when singles that weren't even that popular started to win. Mm, um, yeah. Just because the Grammys, tell, they, they tell on themselves by that. But listen, yeah, I get it. Really. I get your point. I take your point. The listeners agree with you. They also put this song into their top eight. So I will stand over here feeling sad, but I'll make it through uh, four points for beautiful day. Now mm. the very next year, you two won again with the song walk on also How from did this happen when it was from the same album? Cause it is right. Right. But because songs that are released as singles in different years are, of, are eligible in different years. Oh, so record of right. the year record of the year is attached to something that's officially promoted as a single. So Yeah. Both of them are from the album All That You Can't Leave Behind. Um, It was nominated for Album of the Year, but it did not win. But I think that they were more than compensated. Uh, Walk On, I don't think we have a clip, correct, Sarah? No. This song was actually even less of a hit than than Beautiful Day in that it didn't Not surprising. It didn't even chart on the Hot 100. Like, it was released as a single, but it flopped and did not succeed. Except it succeeded in beating... Fallen by Alicia Keys, Miss Jackson by Outkast, Video by India.re, and mm-hmm. one of our favorite songs to hate, Drops of Jupiter by Train. I mean, at least Walk On beat 
crafts of poop at her. <laughs> but <laughs> here's the thing. This this is absolutely um the academy not knowing what to do with what's really going on in the culture, panicking and picking something familiar. Yep. I, I can't explain. I mean, look, I love Brian Eno and I'm happy that he has this on his resume and that he can charge more to do whatever, you know, things he enjoys doing at work. Um, but you know, no, like this is beautiful day, but after you washed it and dried it by mistake when you weren't supposed to. So it's just like smaller and faded. So this is not moving on for me. Nor is it for me, nor is it for the listeners. Uh, enough said about the forgettable quality of Walk On. Miss Jackson from Out by Outcast, Justice For You. They did at mm. least eventually win Album of the Year for Speaker Box, The Love Below. So Outcast got theirs later, but they should have gotten it this year. Yep, agree. Now, in the in the next year, the 2003 ceremony, it was all about Nora Jones. She won Record of the Year oh. for Don't Know Why. She won Song of the Year for Don't Know Why. Well, she didn't write it, but the song won. And she won Album of the Year for Come Away With Me. And she won Best New Artist. Meaning that, now, because she didn't write Don't Know Why, she technically did not win in all four categories. But Nora Jones' product was responsible for every major Grammy that year. Um, I find it fascinating that we're going to see her more than once in this experience, Sarah, because even though she was a blockbuster hit at the time, like this album sold 10 million copies, her next album sold a million copies in a single week, um, she evaporated from the culture. I think that Nora Jones might as well not even exist now, Sarah, and she was so big for like 18 months. Yeah. This is a very Grammys artist they they, i think they built her in a lab honestly yeah seriously (laughs) i mean the the competition this year was weird like the nomination slate was like uh chalk and cheese for sure mostly cheese sorry nickelback how are you grammy nominated um but this is just the sort of like gesturing at ethnicity level (laughs) that that the Grammys are historically comfortable with, I feel like. But she really was everywhere, but in that Gypsy Kings, like, audio wallpaper way that's like, this is a competent, inoffensive music unit. (laughs) Yeah. Um, (laughs) And I I remembered the song. I listened to it the whole way through um, while holding my eyelids open with safety pins and just it's so it's so boring and safe like i don't hate it but i'm not i'm seriously not sure that i could sing it to you now again because it really did like it was everywhere and then it was nowhere yeah so it wasn't like way down on my list but it's not moving on yeah, it was it was ninth for me because I agree with you. It was not moving on for me either, nor is it moving on for the listeners. So zero points. But I don't hate it either. But it's you might remember the show Flash Forward, which was briefly on television, where the mm-hmm. premise was everyone in the world fell asleep for five minutes and then came to again. My friend Mariah and I have often joked that it's because somehow everyone in the world was simultaneously listening to Nora Jones. <laughs> Nora Jones, yeah. 
It's like, I uh, don't know why I didn't. Yeah. Days oh, of Wine wait, and what, what's, Nora yeah, Jones. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so just oh, boring. Now, Without Me by Eminem. Couldn't really vote for that one. It's got some homophobic lyrics in there. Dilemma mm-hmm. by Nelly featuring Kelly Rowland. No, that song's pretty dumb. Nickelback, How You Remind Me, no, which means that by default that year I would have voted for A Thousand Miles by Vanessa Carlton, but that's not a great song either, so not a lot of good choices that year. No. Mm-mm. Okay, uh, well, Sarah, I will say that after listening to all these songs, I was so delighted to finally get to Clocks by Coldplay. I know uh-huh. that Coldplay, Coldplay is a band that has gotten a lot of shit in the press, but I think that they have made a lot of good music. I really like Coldplay. And I think this song is great. It wasn't a huge hit at the time, but it opened the door to Coldplay becoming a massively successful band. Uh, eventually, they would reach number one with the song uh, uh, Viva La Vida. Uh, but I just think that this song is like Kiss from a Rose, so sonically interesting. The performance uh, is great uh, on the vocal by Chris. Oh, God, what's his name? Chris Martin. Yes, Chris Martin, who consciously uncoupled from Gwyneth Paltrow. Um, but I think that this song is great. It's beautiful. It's interesting. It's surprising. It manages to be mellow, but not boring. I just love it. Um, even though nominees this year included Crazy in Love by Beyonce, Hey Ya by Outkast, Lose Yourself by Eminem, and Where is the Love by the Black Eyed Peas. But there's some really, really great records here. And I probably would have voted for Crazy in Love, but I also love Clocks and it definitely made it into my top eight. Good pick, I think. Hmm. I agree. Um, this isn't the track that I would have picked from this album. I mean, you know, like uh, the the um, strictures aside, this is not my favorite song from this album. This is not what I would have voted for had I been given a Grammy vote. I would have voted for Crazy in Love like you. Um, but Coldplay, yeah, they get a lot of shit, but they do what they do really well. And at this point in sort of music and like rock history, this is what we, this is what we needed was like this level of stadium bombast, but not with a bunch of boys in track pants. Yes. Um, and so that's what was happening. Um, and I think this is just one of those like, um, hashtag broken clock (laughs) moments for the Grammys where they kind of get at what's actually happening outside of the building <laughs> right. well like, as, they they yeah. they lucked into it and also that year they managed to give album of the year to outcast so whoa good good job yeah like oh someone under 50 has entered the chat Neat. <laughs> and understands what that mean what that phrase means enter the yeah. chat yeah um <laughs> pity it lasted a year <laughs> But so, oh, but so I'm assuming that both of us are moving Coldplay forward. Yes, correct? I'm sorry. Yes, two points and, for me. And I'm pleased to report that the listeners agree with us. So that is six points for Clocks. I'm glad that we mm. all agree. I, I'm glad me that we too. all agree. Um, me too. And then I... perhaps we both agree on the next song as well, but in a different way. Uh, yeah. I think we do. I actually have two clips. One of um the winner. Ugh. And one of the original Ray Charles track, Here We Go Again, um, the winner was Ray Charles and Nora Jones. Again. This beat American Idiot by Green Day, um, which must have been written about Academy voters, because what the fuck. 
Heaven by Los Lonely Boys, which, okay. Let's get it started by the Black Eyed Peas. I like that song. Is it a Grammy winner? No. And uh, Yeah by Usher featuring Lil Jon and Ludacris, which, I mean, <laughs> I'd rather have Ludacris win a Grammy for just reading the phone book than this shite by Nora Jones when there was a perfectly good version of this song that you could have given the Grammy to. Decades before, yes. Yeah, decades before. Um, here is a clip of the winner. might be saying to yourself self why does Buncey hate us why has she sent us to the epcot version of ray charles why have my genitals become sealed over with concrete my god why couldn't she just play the original which actually has some soul and some heart and some organ by billy preston well good news i cut a clip (laughs) let's end this on a high note I know they sound very close, but there is a fucking light year of difference between those. And if you can't hear it, I can't help you. This is not moving on. And I'm actually increasingly infuriated that it even exists. Ray Charles sounds exhausted and not in the artistic conveying what the lyrics are saying way, but in the I will literally be dead soon way. Like, I don't know if you're going to sing a song like this, maybe understand the words, maybe think about what you're doing, maybe have some life experience and give a shit, Nora. God, I'm pissed. Yeah. And it's just so predictable and disappointing that this one and that the same year, that the same year posthumously Ray Charles also won album of the year for the genius loves company duets album that this execrable track appears on. Meaning that albums by Green Day, American Idiot, Alicia Keys, The Diary of Alicia Keys, Usher, Confessions, and Kanye West, The College Dropout, did not win Album of the Year because this piece of crap won. And Mm -hmm. I just feel like it's just so exhaustingly predictable and obvious. And I am really glad that in the next bracket, the Grammys get a fucking clue because child, no, just no, Uh, no. Zero points from anybody. Goose egg. Nobody moved it on. 
shall we shall we uh soldier forward yes let us do so um back to the hashtag broken clock portion of our programming in our um final year of this particular section of the bracket 2006 uh there was some fairly stiff competition and i wouldn't have been mad if a couple of these other songs won um but boulevard of broken dreams by green day somehow um because of the way that it's done with record of the year and an album managed to straddle two years with nominations and this time they won um this song i just adore this song and i do have a clip so talk about ending on a high note let's do that between the lines what's fucked up and everything's all right check my vital signs and no i'm still alive and i walk alone 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 shadows Um, reasonable people can disagree, and I expect some pushback on this, but this was my number one of this section. Um, shout out to Omar Gayaga for making me get this album and listen to it, and I fell in love with it immediately. This grandiosity, um, but with the sense that this band has a plan for you with this story, um, is thrilling to me. I love this song, two points, no question. What do you think? This this song is a masterpiece on an album that is also a masterpiece. I mm-hmm. think this song is one of the better songs to come out of this entire decade. Uh, it peaked at number two on the Hot 100, which is a wonderful example of great work, really finding a commercial audience as well as a critical audience. Uh, I think it's just spectacular. And I thought it got turned into a great Broadway musical. American yeah. Idiot was a great musical, too, on Broadway. Well, too. Um, I just love it. I love the whole concept of this album. The fact that they were able to pull this album off still astonishes and delights me. For those of you <laughs> listening know. who don't know, American Idiot is a concept album about a guy who is rebelling against various notions of America's cultural and military hegemony. And he thinks he's going to rebel his way out of it by loving a wild girl and going out and rocking. And then he just gets more and more disillusioned until he ends up lonely and sad at the end. And yet it is a happy album. I don't know how to explain it. It's just like, even though the, the arc of the story is very, very cynical, the album is also filled with such punk rebellious power and energy married Mm -hmm. with the sophistication of a band that has so been working for so long that they know how to take their punk impulses and turn them into something really really different than punk like with a with a sheen and a craft that punk isn't supposed to possess it's just really fucking great and uh every song on this album is great and that includes two nine minute suites that combine like 15 songs each like who Mm -hmm. it, it sounds like it could be the most pretentious thing ever but it's actually fucking great this song was number two on my list sarah uh so we had the same number one and two just in the other order And Mm -hmm. uh, the listeners also gave it two points. So this is another straight six. I think it's very clear in this bracket what the right choices are. (laughs) Like we. we, Yeah, I think so. There's some, you know, there's some weird like emotional knee jerking happening. But that's this podcast for you. 
Uh, so I'm glad to hear that. And I'm glad that we were all happy about something to wrap up the competition on this side. Do we want to talk about the other nominees while you do some math? I actually don't even need to do the math, but let's briefly talk about the other nominees, because this is also a year when the Grammys accidentally nominated five songs that sounded really current. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. oops. Yeah. Whoops. <laughs> even though they this this is the year that they gave album of the year to how to dismantle an atomic bomb by U2 and they gave song of the year to some dumbass U2 song uh, that I've never liked called sometimes you can't make it on your own over in record of the year they accidentally got it pretty right they nominated feel good incorporated by gorillas they nominated Kanye West's gold digger and say what you will about Kanye West now which is uh, you would be correct as in saying little as things. possible <laughs> let's just yes. not look directly at it. But Gold Digger is a dope. They nominated yep. Hollaback Girl by Gwen Stefani, which is an annoying chant, but like still sonically interesting. And they nominated We Belong Together by Mariah Carey, which I think is a great song. Um, so really not a for me, Hollaback Girl is probably the worst of this bunch. Well, definitely is. But the other four all great. And the fact that the uh, one of the great ones won is very pleasing to me. Yeah, agree. Um, all right. So what is moving on to the round of 32? I don't think there well, will be a ton of surprises here, but let's hear the list. You and the listeners both had the exact same top eight, and those are the eight songs that are moving on. So just to recap, our t- moving on from the third bracket will be Sunny Came Home by Sean Colvin, Boulevard of Broken Dreams by Green Day, I Will Always Love You by Whitney Houston, Kiss from a Rose by Seal, All I Want to Do by Sheryl Crow. Clocks by Coldplay, Smooth by Santana, featuring Rob Carvulo, and it's not true, <laughs> Rob Thomas, and Beautiful Day by U2. Those songs were not listed in chronological order. That was the order that I placed them on my own list. But, you know, you get the point. I do. Um, and here's my point. Um, this has been such a delightful, hilarious journey that will no longer have Nora Jones or Eric Clapton on it. And I think we're all okay with that <laughs> yes ma'am um but yeah as just a reminder again that you can get extra content you can get early content and you can stick your grubby hands in this content for this season if you join us at patreon.com slash and we would really love to have you and also to come on the discord and talk about how right or wrong you think our picks or your fellow listeners picks were but um this season has really been a lot of fun and you should get even further in on it. So patreon.com slash masters. See you there. Mark and Sarah Talk About Songs is hosted by Sarah D. Bunting and Mark Blankenship. That's me. And edited by Sarah D. Bunting. That's me. This podcast is a proud member of the Believe Network. Learn more at BLEAV.com. And if you want to talk about songs, suggest a season theme, get a pop chart reading or customized playlist, or have a cocktail with us and your fellow listeners, then come on by our Patreon page at patreon.com slash where you'll find polls, happy hours, and tons of extra episodes and content. We're also at Talk Songs on Twitter, 
at Mastass Everywhere on Instagram and Mastass.podcast on Facebook. Or just email us, talkaboutsongs at gmail.com. All that contact info will be in our show notes. Scroll down. Hope we'll be talking about songs with you soon. Thanks for listening. Coming on real strong. But if all it takes is inspiration. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.